This is Stena. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Identity in Me, or In Me for short. My guest for this episode is Kasha Kedjep, who's on with me to talk about how unknown events and hidden aspects of her identity have shaped her life experiences. Hey, Kasha, what's going on? Hello. Long time. Yeah. But when is the last time we saw each other in person? Was it college graduation? No, I think it was maybe a year or so after that. Because I think I came, I went back to, I went back to Worcester and to Clark at some point. You were still there. Okay. But yeah, it's been a while. I think, did you live in Dodd all four years? No, because I became an RA and then was in one of the other, but like the first two years I was in Dodd, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. The, the all, all women. All girls. All girls dorm. I was going to say all women. I didn't want to say all girls and have you be like, hey, 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 all women. But yes, I remember you in all girls dorm and I used to spend a lot of time in the all girls dorm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are rules with against me, that. But now. not with me. Like, hey, just I, used to come in, <laughs> I used to come and check you out in Dodd. That's how I knew you lived there. And, um, and so uh, one of the things I remembered about you from college, I remember many things about you, but you are probably one of three people I know from college who never drank who never smoked, as far as I know. And if you did, hey, listen, judgment-free zone, okay? I did not, you're right. Even though you were white, and I, I, I've always known you were Polish, I think to many of us, we didn't see you as white. Um, you're on the podcast. The podcast is about identity. And so here's your opportunity to talk about how you identify. I think primarily I do identify as Polish. If someone asks you, like, what are you? Like a blank slate question like that. I will say I'm Polish. I was, I was born in Poland. I grew up in New York. I identify as a New Yorker. My primary identity is always a Christian. Like I identify as a Christian first. Yep, always and everything have. else, everything else flows from that. Straight up since college, recruiting folks to go to the church. I remember a couple of early mornings being brought to church. So, you know, thank you for looking out for my spiritual salvation. That's another conversation. We're not going to talk about that on this call. Um, and so you said Polish and not white. Why do you not say white? I guess when, where I grew up, when we grew up, white was in my head equivalent to white American of middle class in certain grew, growing up in certain parts of America. And I didn't identify with that. Yeah. I was a Polish immigrant. I very much felt that and experienced that. And it didn't equate to me. How old were you when you came here? Seven. Oh, okay. Didn't realize that. Until mm -hmm. you had to learn English here and whatnot. Yeah, and that wasn't fun either. When your parents speak with an accent, so all of a sudden people start speaking a little louder, um, or when you have a certain level of education, but people assume you're dumb just because you don't know the language, uh, it's, it's a different experience. Yeah, so um, English is not my second, um, I'm sorry, English isn't my first language. I bet you didn't know that. English I is my, know that. It's my third language. 
I didn't know it was your third, but I did know it wasn't your first. Yep. Because then your folks speak Creole? Yep. Well, you know? um, my father spoke mostly English at home, but both of them are from Haiti. Um, so the first language I learned was Creole um, and then French because I lived in Canada for a while. And then like you, well, actually, um, I did a head start like pre-K here. And then in, uh, in between head start and first grade and went back to Canada. So when I finally came back here for school, I was in ESL initially. Um, so my first year of school at seven years old, I was in English as a second language. And I used to have conflicts with the African-American kids um, because they didn't like the Haitian kids and we didn't like them. It was all sorts of messed up. Um, now, you lived with your grandmother in New York City? My which grandmother borough? and my mom. Okay, and which borough? Initially, uh, initially we, lived in, we lived in Queens, and ultimately we moved to Manhattan. Like, when, when I was, as you know, when I was 16, I moved out on my own. Yeah. And I lived on my own. Uh, but prior to that, by sixth grade, we had moved into the city, into Manhattan. And we lived like project adjacent <laughs> i see um and you live around a lot of folks of color yeah i i was the only white girl in my class in like fifth and sixth grade and then um in high school that like there just weren't many white people or ah, even so you just identified as white you said you were the yeah, only white girl yeah because like okay. yeah or or so like and then there that there there weren't any immigrants so like that was the other thing like it was and by then i think i i felt like i had americanized in some ways and others and it's so funny i didn't self-identify others labeled me as right like you're one of the two or the three white girls in our class, like, or in our school, right? Like that was the label. Um, so I think that's where the reference probably comes from. Okay. Okay. And you said you moved out when you were 16. Why did you move out and live on your own when you were 16? My family situation, as you know, was, was pretty bad. And so, um, my parents divorced when I was one, my father was an alcoholic and he immigrated to the States on his own when I was very young, probably a couple of years before we immigrated. And uh, he was a very much a self-made, super function, highly functional alcoholic. So he came to the States selling peanuts on the streets and vacuum cleaners door to door. And he, um, over the years, built an empire. He ran the number one Polish radio station in Chicago mm -hmm. and became a millionaire. Uh, but we were very much estranged. I did not grow up with him. Uh, and I, I didn't even have contact with him till I was like 15. And my mom, um, also suffered from her fair share of addiction with, with, uh, prescription drugs and uh, some mental illness that that kind of revealed itself when I was fairly young um, after my grandmother had remarried and left. So yeah, there was, there was a lot there. But yeah, initially when, when we came over, he came over first, went to Chicago and my grandmother came over to New York uh, and then brought me and my mom over on like a uh, basically like a family visa. 
Okay. All right. I never got this much of your story back in college. What I did get from you in college, um, I can think about in hindsight. So back at the beginning of this episode, I talked about the fact that you didn't drink, do drugs. You went to all your classes, had a pretty high GPA. You were that like uh, the model college student in a lot of ways, you know, um, you weren't getting into trouble. You were an RA, but it took years for me to understand why you probably didn't drink and do drugs. As an adult, looking back, I say to myself, I think she carried herself that way in college as a repudiation of her parents. Is that correct? In part, I mean, in part, a lot of it had to do with my faith, yeah. right? A lot of it was how do I, as a Christian, I love God and I believe I am created for God by God. So how do I honor God with my life, every part of my life? And uh, because of when I was younger, I, I was raised Catholic. I saw a lot of hypocrisy in, in that, in my parents' faith. Yeah. Um, it was very important to me that when I came in contact with who Jesus was, that I would honor him with my life. But uh, a lot of the pull to faith uh, and the other part of it was absolutely my, my, my family of origin and that history and having seen what people who are addicts or just are led by their emotions, um, who are undisciplined, like my parents, you know, and, and more like my mom was, right? Like my father was clearly just very disciplined and super accomplished, uh, but still an alcoholic nevertheless, which absolutely affected all of his relationships. And for me, the idea of losing control in that way yeah. uh, to a substance like that um, or using it as an excuse in order to quote unquote behave badly, just... Um, it just, it, it, it rubbed wrong against every fiber of my body, right? Because I could see the destruction that it caused. So you never identified as an alcoholic. Um, alcoholism didn't affect you in the sense that you didn't drink, but your father's drinking impacted you as a person. Can yeah. you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, the term for it, was Al-Anon. For a long time, it was adult children of alcoholics, which I am an adult child of an alcoholic. Um, and, you know, I think anytime you watch someone who is supposed to be your caretaker uh, flip roles and where you become the caretaker and you're the responsible one, I wouldn't realize the the depths of damage that that did to me for many years to come. Uh, but I realized enough of the pain it caused early, early on. And a lot of my drive <laughs> and my my passion, right, definitely stemmed from not being like my parents. But a lot of it also stemmed from the things that I like learned from my grandmother about world history and the experiences that I had with her, where there was this deep 
deep-seated desire to change the world really early on, right? Like I remember being 15 and being reminded of this like years later, but when I was 15, I was like, I want to work for the UN. (laughs) And when I was in my early twenties, I did. (laughs) And I was one of those people that I came into college. I knew exactly what major I wanted I recall to study and, you know, like, and what I wanted to do. <laughs> you were the f- one of the first feminists that I encountered in. Um, uh, you were very proud in your feminism in college. And, and so, see, I remember that about you. So I want to rewind a little bit um, and talk a little bit more or unpack how your father's alcoholism impacted decisions you made in your adult life and so forth. Um, In terms of relationships with men, do you feel as though your relationship with your dad impacted how you engaged with men later? Probably, but my relationship with my mom, I would learn affected, impacted that a lot more. Say more about that, please. (laughs) Um, I learned that in relationships, ultimately what we tend to do in romantic relationships is we try to recreate safe relationships from childhood. Or if you come from a not safe or broken home, as people call it, you try to recreate a bond that wasn't there with someone who reminds you of that parent that fill in the blank triggers you. Right. And so for me, the abandonment came from my mom. And so I would gravitate towards men who are very similar to my mom. I would learn later and try to get the attention and the affection from them that I didn't get from her. Where did you learn this? Did you learn this in counseling sessions or? Yeah. Yeah. Through counseling and, you know, coaching uh, which I highly recommend to anyone and everyone. All right. And so at what age did you start going to church uh, consistently? And would you say that your path to church was uh, directly related to how you experienced your childhood? Oh, definitely not. So it's so interesting. So I grew up, like I like I said earlier, I grew up Catholic and um Uh, what that means is Catholicism tends to be very synonymous with being Polish. (laughs) We were holiday Catholics, (laughs) Uh, but my grandmother went to church uh, and often as a little girl, I went with her and I enjoyed standing next to her and, and singing. And I enjoyed the the beauty and the tradition. Um, But the older I got, the, the less and less, the message resonated with me and I saw a lot of, and what I internalized, a lot of judgment and a lot of just, yeah, judgment and rejection. Yeah. And so if you're divorced, you're rejected. If you're, you know, uh, I don't know, fill in the blank, right? Like it was just, the list was very long and, and that just never felt good to me. And when I was already living on my own, I was 17. And up to that point, I I say, I would go into a church every once in a while and I would definitely pray, but I didn't know who I was praying to. 
really read the Bible. That wasn't like a tradition that I was raised with of reading the Bible. Um, It was more here, here are the things you should just believe. So I had very little knowledge and a very negative experience. And what was really powerful was when I was 17, I was met on the, like on the street, actually, I was like waiting for a friend in front of the movie theater and these really happy go lucky people asked me to, um, asked me if I wanted to, to, to come to church and come to a, to a, a, a Christian like teen ministry event. And I was like, all right, sure. I'll, I'll go, I'll check it out. Um, I had seen one of the girls from that I saw part of the group. I had seen her before and she had invited me to something before I remembered her. And I, I vividly remembered throwing that invitation away like the day of. And so I was like, okay, there's something more to this, like something beyond me, right? When I, you keep seeing the same people. And what really impacted me was I went and for the first time I experienced a community of people who on the outside looked like they had very little in common. And yet this one thing they had in common was this love for this Jesus. And they were like opening up the Bible and reading it. (laughs) I was like, and they were actually trying to live it out. And I was just blown away. And they were so incredibly loving and caring for me, who at the time had no money, nothing to offer them. uh, Right. And so I was like, why, why do they care? And I came to learn that they care because they love God and they just want everyone to know this loving God. It probably saved my life, to tell you the truth. And it definitely altered the trajectory of my life in terms of how I made my choices. You know, I remember you being very close to um, people in your church. And the word that's coming to mind right now for me is chosen family. Um, It felt as though at um, Clark, you found a group of people and adopted them and vice versa as your chosen family. Um, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you were part of that family. You still are. <laughs> hey, how did I make it into your uh, chosen family? I mean, I wasn't in the church. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't live in your dorm. We only had an English class together. So, I mean, how- there was did- that. There was that- lunch table, right? And dinner table. Like there was that one round table when you walked into the cafeteria where it was me and all of us, right? Like, yeah, you were like the only white person comfortable (laughs) sitting with all of us, uh, black folks. Yeah, I do recall. Okay. Tell me more about that. So you would sit at the table with us. Did you ever get the side eye? Did you ever get the side eye from other white students? when you were around us all the time? If I did, I didn't. I mean, I, rem- I honestly, I remember being challenged by some of my church friends. Like you need to make friends with the white people at your school. Like you can't just be around the people that you're comfortable around. Like you need to be willing to be friends with people that you're not naturally comfortable around. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the challenge for me was to step outside of my comfort zone. You the, the, I sat at the table that was most closely related to the, the friends I had and the family I had in high school, right? Um, I mean, my best friend in high school was half Black, half Puerto Rican. Her dad was a New York City cop. Um, when I moved out on my own, I stayed with them until they helped me to find 
the the woman that I then rented a room from <laughs> uh, who played numbers in the back of the bodega with my best friend's grandmother. <laughs> like, you know, um, so yeah, so there's, there's, if there was side eyed, I, I didn't pick up on it. Cause I, I just wasn't, I didn't care what people thought. Yeah. I was much more focused on what I built and the impact I had and loving, loving people who I felt like loved me and knew me and I felt close to and, and understood me, like understood where I came from. Yeah. yeah there was always that uh, connectivity. And interestingly, you know, um, we, we did sit at the lunch table together um, but you weren't out at the parties uh, with us on the weekends or weekdays when we went to parties on the weekdays. And I have this very clear memory. The first time I saw you at a party and, <laughs> <I do too. laughs> and you dancing and we were dancing and I'm like, yo, Kasha's got rhythm. She can move. She can dance. And you never really, I mean, you didn't, Go to the party. I, I broke all the stereotypes. I broke all the stereotypes. Hey, listen, whatever. I danced today. with whoever. Like, I didn't judge. I just was just like, okay, let me just one-two step it with her. And she's like, no, she can do more than one-two. She, she's she got some hips. Um, but do you have any regrets about how you experienced college at all? Absolutely not. I loved that I was part of the Black Student Union. I loved that I was part of, like, you know, the United Students Against Sweatshops. Um, I love the friends I made. I did step out and, and diversify my friend base. Um, I remember joining the choir and touring Ireland for our spring break. Um, I remember just meeting incredible people and having just such a great experience in college. Um, if anything, I think sometimes I felt only in my faith because there weren't other uh, like other college students from my church that went to Clark. Um, but there, I also felt like, man, there were people that like would come up to me that were strangers that I didn't know. And they were like, Hey, I hear you're Kasha. You're that girl that knows the Bible. Can you tell me where it says? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> There's a two part question that I am going to ask you to answer succinctly. It's a very difficult question, though. So it sounds like in college, your faith, your ethnicity, and your gender identity really um, informed how you experienced college. Like those were the three most salient aspects of your identity, it seems, in college. And then as an adult now, um, you are hardcore into fitness. Faith is still part of the equation. And I know you're still doing work around women's rights uh, internationally. Am I correct in that, in how you experience your identity in college versus your adulthood? I wouldn't say versus, I think it's, a, it's an evolution, right? I mean, I, I rode crew in college. I was an athlete in college also. Yeah. Um, I mean, crew's not a real sport though. I mean, like rowing a boat, please continue. I'd love to see you try. Come on now. <laughs> I'd love to see you try. <laughs> it's like curling. You know, it's just like, move on. Like, we are not having that conversation because you need to put your daughter to bed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
That's but a no, continue, please continue. But yeah, but I mean, I think, you know, I played basketball in, in high school and I rode in college. And um, after that, I always felt kind of like, okay, the gym just isn't enough. And I think the other part that drew me to CrossFit, which I love, uh, and I've been doing for, wow, almost like eight or nine years now, if not 10, (laughs) Um, was community. I wanted, you know, I am always, as you said, I create family, but I, what really, I I am passionate about creating and being part of community and, um, and inserting God's love into whatever community I'm a part of. And there is a part of me that's like, okay, well, there's the church, but like, that's there by default. Uh, so we're outside, just like, okay, I can hang out with a feminist circle all the time, but then you're just preaching at the choir, right? Like, so how do you bring those ideals? How do you bring those things that you love into other communities, um, and to other people? And so that's, you know, it was the best of both worlds. It's, it's challenging. Um, it's a level of, of fitness that I never thought I could attain. I'm probably like in the best shape of my life. <laughs> um, and, and it has the aspect of community. Yeah. And in terms of community and looking out for others and um, being a supportive person, thoroughly appreciate how you always looked out for me and wanted the best for me. And and thank you so much. You know, those sorts of things, you know, you get a, a team of people who are like operating as the wind behind you, propelling you forward. Um, it's very important. So thank you. Thank you. You're part of my success story for sure. Kasha, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and talking with me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. And vice versa. I res- I have so much respect for you, Hadley, and you were, I'm Stenna on the podcast. Oh, sorry. No, it's all good. Continue. I'll pause and I'll restate that. (laughs) No, you can't. It's part of the shtick. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I have so much respect for you. And you were were very supportive to me. You were one of the, the, the solid men in my life in college. And you were an example of integrity and honor and respect as a man. And I think that um, that says a lot about who you are, but I think it also says a lot about who your father was Mm. in your life and his example. And I just always, I love that. And I know like my heart broke when you were going through that, but just your love for him was so inspirational to me when I lacked so much respect and love for my father, Mm. right? Um, And I do also remember those times where I would go to parties and you'd see me and be like, why are you here? <laughs> We're leaving. I'm walking. No, he's not walking you home. I'm walking you home. <laughs> or like you pulled up to like, you pulled up on like, I was working with Mike Brown or Michael Brown, I think is like tall, Mike really Tyler? attractive. He had like hazel eyes, like all the women would follow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we worked together and he drove me home from work once. And you walked up, you came out of nowhere and like pulled me out of the car. Get out of his car right now. I was like, you are like the brother I never had, but always needed. (laughs) And you are still the guy that I go to for advice, right? When it comes to men. So every now and then, hopefully I get. The respect goes both ways, my friend. Both ways. Thank you. Thank you so much. For sure.
There's a lot going on in this episode. One thing is clear. Kasha's story isn't neat, which is true for so many people. That's why it's important to ask questions or at least pay closer attention before reaching conclusions. Until the next episode of In Me, keep reflecting.